Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was bluer than a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. The hey, everybody. Todd Mitchell here. Welcome back to Game Dev Breakdown. The topic this time is PR interviews. I don't have a PR interview to play for you. Instead, I'm going to talk to you about PR interviews. Why would I do that? Okay, so the story is, this came, this did come up on Twitter between some indie dev friends of mine. And it also brought up some memories of numerous times when I've gone to people and said, I love what you do. I'm excited about your games, whatever it might be. Why don't you come on my podcast? And they go, oh, I could never do a podcast. And I understand that, and I remember feeling that way myself. But instead of telling everybody, oh, come on, you could do it, it would be great, you could totally... Instead, I'd like to do something helpful for once and tell you what to expect if you do a PR interview, whether it's for a podcast appearance or a YouTube video, or if you get really lucky and journalists come knocking and calling and tweeting and DMing, if uh, that starts to happen for you, you you need to know what to expect there too. So I think that I can help because not only do I do this podcast, I've been doing other podcasts for like seven-ish. I think this is my seventh year total. I've uh, appeared on other people's podcasts. I have done freelance writing. So I have had the opportunity to speak to other people and put together articles based on their uh, answers that they give me to my questions. Uh, So I've, I've gotten to participate in that kind of journalism also. And this goes all the way up to one time fairly recently. And I will tell this story later. I appeared as the lead interviewee in a business insider article. And I wouldn't normally talk about this because it was kind of a weird experience, but, um, it got into what I would call potentially adversarial journalism. So the kind of advanced interviewing where you have to be careful what you say and you have to sort of keep your wits about you. Uh, this didn't get too dramatic, but I think it taught me a few things that I can pass to you in case you ever do find yourself in a tricky situation. And I'll, uh, I need to remember this. I'll tell the story of, uh, you know, our friend Michael Hicks, who appeared on the show and used potentially adversarial journalism to send a message to, uh, in his case, it was Valve because he was having issues with Steam. And if you remember that, he uh, he intentionally sort of drew some attention to that and used that to great effect. So I'm going to talk about what to do if you're a creator who is getting covered somewhere. I'm going to talk, um, something else I hear about is people telling me, I've listened to this and I love content like this and I want to start my own podcast. And I I think that's great, actually. I I got into this because I love this kind of content. I loved reading stuff by uh, Morgan Ramsey, who we've uh, given away his books on the podcast previously. He's done great writing. I love authors who talk to, to video game developers. I love people who do their own podcasts. So there's room on everybody's virtual shelf. There's room in everyone's phone for more podcasts. And I, I don't ever discourage anybody from that. I think it's great. So if you are starting to do podcast interviews yourself, there are some things I can pass along. And uh, again, we'll get into the advanced stuff in case you think there might be a little bit of trouble. I think I can help you there too. So ideally, this will turn into the all-encompassing 
PR interview guide. So here we go. Let's start with my credentials. I've been podcasting for, like I said, almost, I think this is the seventh year. I have probably interviewed four or five professional interviewers now. So you think about uh, guys like Rayan Ali, who just wrote the NBA Jam book for Boss Fight Books. Blake J. Harris, who spent years working on um, the Console Wars book. Uh, David L. Craddock's a good one. We've, we've done a t- uh, Matt Bradley Shergi has an uh, upcoming project based on his interviews he's done in the past. Uh, a lot of guys who, you know, devote their professional careers to asking questions and doing interviews. So in addition to the stuff I've gotten to do, I've gotten to learn from some of the best, which is awesome. And then, like we said, I've been on the receiving end of uh, a tough interview or two here and there. Also, uh, work interviews. We're not really going to talk about job and employment related interviews, but uh, those these two fields do have some similarities. And they, you know, you, you can think of them as drawing from the same skill set. So let's start with the creator side. You're an indie developer. You have to do it all. So when it comes time to giving PR interviews, you have to do it yourself. You don't know what to expect. Let's talk about it. So if someone contacts you and goes, I will happily interview you for maybe my indie journalism site or my podcast or whatever. I think a good interviewer will let you know what's going to be discussed if it's going to go beyond the scope of your project, because some interviewers like to do that. I kind of like to do that to some extent. Uh, I like to get people's background, which is going to be easy for them, of course, so I don't have to prep you on that. Uh, I like to get what they do day to day, the tools they use, stuff like that. And then we, of course, talk about their project. But if there's something going on in the industry, especially for indies, I love to get people's philosophy, their takes on current events. If it makes them uncomfortable, we move on. I don't, you know, I don't care enough to uh, sour the experience for somebody. But um, I've, I've backed off a little bit on the current events thing if I have industry professionals on. So like when we've had a couple of guys from Gearbox, the first time I tried to make it clear, like I'm not going to like drill you on current events or anything. And the second time, uh, I'm sure Gearbox took notice that this was the second time I'd interviewed one of their employer or employees. Uh, and they wanted to know, like, are you going to be talking about stuff like that? Let's make sure, you know, nobody's says anything to step on a, you know, a relationship we have with another company or something. I said, no, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm here for. But if you, if you want to do stuff like that, give somebody a heads up, you know, or if you, uh, if you don't want to, to speak about that stuff. And if you don't know, if you think there might be a chance you're going to be asked about things that you need to sort of, uh, at least think on a little bit, simply ask that person when you're setting up the appointment or uh, agreeing to do the thing in the first place, say, you know, what all would you like to talk about? Don't hesitate to say, um, I just, I need to know, you know, what, what's going to be covered. And then if they spring something on you later, you, you know, you'd be right to say, oh, I'm, I'm not really prepared to talk about that. Most often, especially if you have an indie style interviewer who doesn't work for like IGN or isn't a freelancer for Kotaku, that kind of thing, they're probably trying to keep it really simple and they might just not think to give you topics. And so you don't hesitate to have that dialogue. Just go, what all would you, would you like to talk about? Along that same vein, aim to stay comfortable. Don't psych yourself out. It's not going to be a big deal. These things happen fast and they're over before you know it. So think about this as a discussion you're going to have with a new 
you know, a lot of times these people turn into friends, especially when I was in freelance journalism. The people I talked to in my very first feature on, um, you know, noteworthy people within the homebrew community. So I, I talked to people who are working on like GoldenEye X and people who were trying to, you know, mod the Dreamcast and stuff like that. Some of those people I'm still great friends with on social media. So in, in one case, I talked to a guy from uh, Portugal who opened the first game store where he lived and he ran a game jam for, um, what was it? Uh, Spectrum Games. And he was a really cool guy. And, and we've, man, we've, we've talked casually on social media for like five or six years now. The point is these people are interested in what you're interested in. And there's potential to make great connections there. And they're going to be good people to help you get the word out about things later on. And they're grateful that you're helping them because that that helps everybody. When this goes well, it's great for both people. So try to stay comfortable and think of your, your appearance as like you're doing a working lunch or it's a networking opportunity. And just try to have a good time. Uh, that person's usually trying to make you look good. So... Keep in mind that there is no shame in not knowing the answer to a question. You know, you know what you know. You know what you're an expert on and what you're hoping to get out to the audience. If you if something comes out of left field and you don't really know what to say to it, just just kind of laugh it off and go, eh, you know, I, I don't know what to say to that. Or uh, there, the only wrong thing you can do is just blurt out something that you didn't give any thought to. Don't don't ever let yourself feel pressured to guess about something or to comment on something you don't know anything about. If somebody came on this podcast and asked me a really detailed question about Apex Legends, we talked about that last time, I, I would immediately tell you, like, I've never even downloaded that game. And if it was like, uh, you know, this, this news event happened, and what's your philosophy on? I love sharing philosophies on things, as you, you all know. I don't really shy away from that, but I'm very careful not to open my mouth about something I don't really know about. Because I think that's the worst thing you can do. And that's somewhere people get themselves in a lot of trouble in interviews. They try to have the answer for everything, even if they don't. And you're not supposed to have the answer for everything. No one does. So just stay within your expertise. Be very honest. People will respect that. And if someone is trying to push you to comment on something you don't know that's a big red flag and you know, you know what you're dealing with at that point. So don't answer something you haven't given any thought to, whether they're industry issues, political points, you know, you don't have to be an expert on politics. I wish more people understood that. Don't you? I mean, don't you, wouldn't it be a better world if people freely commented on political things they've honestly paid attention to, but if it's just something they heard secondhand or hadn't looked into, wouldn't it be awesome if they went, you know, I wish I, I wish I could tell you more about, you know, labor unions, I, but I don't. I have a feeling that blah, 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 or whatever, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what, you know, the impacts of this would be. People will appreciate that you are focused on what you are doing. You are an artist to the people who are listening and reading and, and hearing. There's not a lot of sense in seeing that that person is super distracted by other stuff. So if it's off topic, don't even, you know, just, just don't even feel pressured. Another thing to do a very simple PR interview, uh, be come prepared. Don't forget to come prepared, not with what you're going to talk about that day, but in a, in a good and fair interview, 
you're going to be given an opportunity to send people to a website or a demo or a store page where they can see what you're actually working on. And that's got to be ready. So I have had people come on the podcast like, I don't really have my website ready. Have your website ready. If you're, if you're coming here, just because I want you to get the most out of this, I want you to find this rewarding. And you're going to find it most rewarding if listeners can go, bam, I can go, I can go download the uh, demo or the alpha or the beta. Uh, this is great. You know, at least know where you're going to send people at the end. If it catches you off guard, it's a missed opportunity. That's all. And beyond that, have a good time. Just have fun with it. That's what you're there for. That's why you do what you do, hopefully. I hope nobody's doing game development as a means of sur- a primary means of survival because that's just a nightmare, as you all know. And I, I want to keep it simple for this, this section because the average podcast appearance, YouTube appearance, anything like that, it's usually not a big deal. I promise. Maybe you're not a natural speaker, but if you have people in, in your life that you can communicate with comfortably, you can bring a version of that to an interview. And it's really just a matter of just reining yourself in. I'm going to tell real quickly the story of how I got into podcasting. I, it, it hasn't been, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but it's not too often. I got into software right out of college in about 2005. It was actually sort of an indirect route but I took jobs closer and closer to what I wanted to do until I was in programming hardcore, you know, coder all day. And I did that for over a decade before I went, you know, hashtag indie. But I found in the workplace that I had trouble communicating with other people because my adolescent life, my life before adulthood was, I lived with my mother who, basically steamrolled me in almost every conversation. My mom has some issues and uh, I don't don't want to spend this time bagging on her, but part of it was she had this very big personality and there wasn't really room for anyone else in the room. And we could dig into what that is. Mostly she's sort of a wounded person who needed attention and affection that I don't feel like she got. But when she became a parent, there was no real way to switch that off. And most of my life, she would interrupt me in the middle of a sentence. She was not a good listener. If she stayed quiet to let me talk, it wasn't for long. Like, we would we would go to school every day, and she would, like, yell out prayers for, like, an entire ride to school. And I couldn't say, like, I had stuff on my mind, like any kid does. I probably would have talked to her about it, but she wouldn't even let me do that. She would... So, you know, that was a means for her to talk nonstop from before we got into the car to when I got out in front of my friends and she was still doing it. And I couldn't like, just stop, please. So as a product of that, as a pretty young person, I developed kind of a stutter. And uh, I'm sure some of this comes through in the podcast. I'm still a little bit scattered when I try to get a thought out. That's all a product of the way I came up. It's very difficult to grow up that way, feeling like you have to blurt everything out before somebody steamrolls you in a conversation. Do you know anybody like that? Maybe you do. Uh, I don't think it's, unfortunately, it's somewhat common that you, you know, certain people, you have to blast your sentence out before they can trample on it. And it sucks. And I, I, man, I try never to be that way with other people as an adult. Uh, I'm also a very quiet person by nature. So long story short, this, this impacted my career right away. If I was in a meeting room, people didn't really know 
how to communicate with me. You know, they didn't know if I was going to stay quiet the entire half hour, 45 minutes longer, or if I was going to pick a, a random time and just blurt out a thought so fast that no one even caught it. I mean, I like when I was in my early 20s, I would say stuff and it <laughs> I had either said it so fast or so quiet, like people just kind of stopped awkwardly like, what was that sound that just came out of your mouth? <laughs> um, I laughed, but it sucked. And it made me really unhappy. And it was a depressing thing. And around that time, I was doing—I was working on a basically a pop culture website with my buddy Ray Merrick, who's occasionally on the show. And somebody came to us about doing a podcast. And I thought, you know what? I had that same feeling that most of you would have. Like, oh, I can't do that. What are you talking about? Not most of you. Some of you. Half of you have probably been on the show at this point. But I had that apprehension because I thought I, I can barely speak correctly. You know, I stutter and I hesitate and I mumble and stuff, but I thought maybe it's time to get that under control. You know, there, there are going to be people who are less fortunate, who have real drastic speech impediments. And it's not fair for me to go, well, just practice. That's not always going to be the case. I was fortunate enough that it was sort of semi-psychological in my case, and I was able to sort of improve over time, but I did it by doing this podcast. And the things that the podcast made me get good at were speaking slowly and clearly, and then actively listening, being like a very good listener. Sometimes you hear people talk about this. Listening is harder than most people think, because it's hard to listen without thinking about what you're going to say next. And it's very hard to do that in podcasting too, but you have to listen to people and really be considering what they're saying and almost nothing else during that time, because otherwise you'll miss stuff. And we'll talk about that next because we're going to talk about how to do good interviews and the reasons you might want to do them. So uh, the point is, I got into this because I wanted to improve and I wanted to be a better communicator. And with practice, this is stuff that you can get better at. I'm here to tell you. Now, the thing I'm probably best at is editing because I still make mistakes all the time. And I say, um, and uh, too much. And I have guests who do the same thing, but I don't even talk to them about it. I just clean those things up because I do it all the time. You're not going to do it more than I am. So, you know, nobody is a perfect speaker, but many people have improved a great deal over time. So I'm here to tell you it can be done. If you're thinking about doing anything that involves conducting your own interviews, I want to look at this from unusual angles because we talked recently about when Microsoft brought me out to GDC two years ago to uh, interview their guests at the event. There's a reason they did that, and it seemed natural to them. Some companies will do a version of interviewing their own people for PR purposes, and Microsoft is one. I didn't look up the name of this thing, but they've got this sort of, it's not, it's more than a YouTube channel because they run it through their own site, but it's kind of like this content channel that they run where they will do all these features where they have guests being interviewed by an interviewer who is also an internal Microsoft person, I think, or maybe a marketing firm uh, partner. It doesn't really matter, but they, they produce their own interviews with their own people. And there are reasons that he would want to do this. I'm sure Microsoft is somewhat hesitant to send their own people on a lot of unpredictable interview opportunities. You know, they they do some, and I think they're pretty good sports about it for being such a big company with such a strong need to control, you know, 
what is said, but um, something that made sense for them was they started doing interviews with their own people that they could use to promote. So when the idea came up of having someone like me come out to GDC to help with some of that, I think it made perfect sense to them and it made sense to me. It was stuff I was already doing. Uh, I would have had trouble getting access to any of those people, probably, you know, as far as I know. So them saying, come on in and talk to our people made sense for both of us. And I, you know, we did the best we could with that. It was, it was kind of a hectic week, but I think it was worth doing certainly for me. I hope it, I hope they looked at it as being valuable also, but even as a smaller studio or company, however you want to look at yourself and what you do, it may make sense for you to do this too. I've said before, starting a podcast for your studio is a great idea. If you want to do just your own YouTube like interviews or your own sort of presentations, uh, there are good reasons to do this stuff. So for anybody who wants to conduct their own interview, for one thing, it's super fun. I think you're going to have a good time. It's great networking. Like as an indie and as someone who's not necessarily looking for work anymore in the industry, the industry is still the least lonely it's ever been since I started podcasting and started freelance writing. Like I know way more people now. We're still buddies, many of us. And I feel like there are people to chit chat with about stuff. And I have a great time doing that. That's probably the number one reward that I've gotten other than, you know, being a slightly more effective communicator. Far from perfect. Needless to say, don't at me. But I, I get a ton personally out of all the connections I, I get to make and people I keep in touch with. That's awesome for me. So tips I have for you if you've decided to do something like this. Look for stories, not favors. What I mean by that, don't conduct your podcast in such a way that you're always just trying to like reach way above your station and get, you know, very, very big popular people on. You need to do some of that. And it's basically a favor when a person with 20,000 followers does an interview for a person with 800 followers or whatever. I have more than that, but not that much more. I think a good interviewer can do a good interview or episode or video with a big guest. I think that makes sense, but I think a great interviewer can do a good interview with almost anybody. And I say that not to diminish anyone who's not famous, but I mean people are valuable. The people around you are valuable, and especially the people doing the same things you're doing. And they have stories that are great. You know, it's it's kind of like when you uh, turn a certain age and find out that your grandpa is a really interesting person. You know what I mean? People have stories that are worth hearing, always. And a person who can capture that and bring that out is is very valuable, I think. Give people a chance to, to put out those things that are worthy of hearing. Don't always worry so much about what someone can do for you in terms of, of status. It's not, it doesn't make, it's just, it's not worth worrying about. Likewise, when you've done an interview with anybody, I am of the opinion that everything should be edited. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of podcasts that turn on the mics, everybody shuffles in, they capture whatever they capture, and it goes straight up to, um, you know, SoundCloud or, or wherever you host. I'm jealous of that. That would be a great life. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that effective as a communicator that I could do everything live or in one take. Uh, I believe that a good podcast is one that's been cleaned up. And I clean my tracks up very carefully. 
Now, I have personal guidelines that I follow for that, and they're very similar to what I was sort of held to as a freelance journalist. Make everybody look their best. Edit for clarity. That's good. Never edit the intent of what someone says. I don't believe in, you know, changing the order of of something that someone says or uh, picking up part of one sentence and skipping to the second half of the next one. Pull out a cough or a sneeze (laughs) or if someone pauses for six seconds, turn it into two, (laughs) you know, unless that adds to the conversation. If if you ask a difficult question and you believe that a long pause is relevant, it, it often is, but if they leave the room for a minute, cut that out. There are podcasts that don't do that. And, uh, you know, again, I'm jealous because it takes way less time to run it that way. But I, I think that people need to be presented in the best light. And I'm sure that's helped contribute to some of the positive relationships that have uh, come from uh, doing what I do. If you're ever doubting something, the only guiding question you need to ask yourself is, what would this person say to the change I'm thinking about making. You know, if you're thinking about pulling a word out, if they heard it, would they realize what happened? Would they would they go, hey, that's not what I meant? Never ever do that. If you know it it's not it's not really a matter of opinion. There's always going to be an obvious answer to that question, and that's all you need to worry about. Listen actively. We talked about the importance of that. Really hang on people's words and process them. I mean, you can't just be you can't ask somebody question number one. And while they're talking, you're reading question number two to yourself and getting ready to blurt it. Don't do that. Uh, listen to what somebody says and adapt to that information because then you've learned something and it should alter the rest of the conversation you're about to have. So question one can't be like, "Did you? is it correct that you worked on Halo Reach? If the person says no, question two can't be the thing you came up with last night that was, while you were working on Halo Reach, you know, what was your day-to-day job like? You have, <laughs> That's an extreme example, and I've never done a version of that. But I have fallen back on questions I planned on. If we hit a lull in a, in a conversation or something, I, I may have asked a question I thought about like the previous day, but I, I wasn't factoring in something that the person had just said. And that's a product of I wasn't a good listener yet. So you have to be a good listener. I believe there are stupid questions in life, but I also believe interviewing is a great place for them. What I mean is, if you're interviewing a producer of a game, if anyone listening to your podcast doesn't know the entire scope of what a producer does, a good question is, tell me what a producer does. Now, you don't you don't have to go, I don't know what you do. But you, you can ask that person, you know, for the audience and for certain listeners, give us the scope of, you know, a producer's responsibilities. That's a good question because different studios don't look at that position the same way. Some, some internal team from EA doesn't look at that the same as some indie who works in Chicago. You know, it's, it's worth talking about uh, this topic and research so that you understand who you're talking to, the kinds of things they're probably focused on, and you'll know what to ask if you if you do that. A lot of a lot of people just go, "Tell me your name and what you do, and let's go from there." I think there's a certain value in that, but you should also have a a pretty good idea where that person's been and what they've done. Ensure your guests that you have time, 
There's no pressure. You will clean up any mistakes. You know, you're not here to like catch them off guard on anything. Don't do that kind of journalism, you know. Set people at ease because I think that's when you're going to get the best material. Also, don't waste your guests' time. This is something I've heard done and it's it's just a nightmare. It's awkward and it's bad. Do like intros and outros and ads and stuff. Do that alone. Do that on your own time. Just just keep the guest uh, for, a, for a call, for the discussion part, and let them go back to their life. Uh, I, I was listening to a podcast. I try to keep tabs on what's what's out there because, like I said, I enjoy listening to this stuff and I'd be doing it anyway. But I listened to this guy who had, uh, oh, it was somebody who I was going to be talking to. I didn't know he had appeared on anyone else's podcast. And so I found this interview with this guy on a different podcast. But the episode was like over an hour and a half long. And during it, he did the host did this long intro a couple of ads. He read a list of patron names from Patreon. And then at, at the end, he advertised like future guests and stuff in all while this person was sitting there. And I couldn't believe it was the most uncomfortable thing. Don't do that to people. I wouldn't do that to my friends, much less someone who was doing me a favor by appearing on this, <laughs> this thing and doing a call with me. Don't, don't do that. Also do a soft start. Hit record, uh, get the person comfortable, and when you feel like everyone's in the groove, you know, after just basic small talk and chit-chat, and sometimes that's good to include in the show anyway, go into your first question. And they'll, they'll probably catch it, they'll notice that, you know, okay, we must be we must be doing it, but they're going to be much more comfortable than if you go like, okay, are you ready? Three, two, one. Hi! La, la, la. I think that's a bad way to start. If you, if you read about good directors, good directors will get the cameras rolling. They'll get comfortable for a minute and they'll tell the, the actors, you know, whoever's going to start the scene, they'll go whenever you're ready. And then that person will, you know, compose themselves for a minute and they'll start the scene. I, you know, the screaming action, you know, it's probably problematic more often than not. So those are very basic things you can do if you ever want to conduct an interview. And finally, I'm going to tell a story that's probably not in my best interest to talk about. <laughs> uh, but it's my only experience with potentially adversarial journalism. <laughs> and um, I, I don't want to... It's going to be real easy to figure out who this was. This person was pleasant in our interactions. She never, you know, tried to nail me to the wall in the conversation. But I... So this, the story is this, um, my wife and I have a home gym and it was important to us to really go all out with this so we could focus on fitness and health and stuff. And we're, you know, far enough along in our careers that we had a little money to spend on it because it was while we were building our house and we had saved up a ton of money because we had to, you know, buy a house and furnish it and stuff. So when we were picking out our workout equipment, we went with Peloton stuff because it is hands down the nicest stuff. And we liked the features. It's technologically very cool. And the internet has a, an unfortunate <laughs> perspective on people who have this stuff. And I get it. When I was a young person, I felt the same way about people who did stuff like that. 
and now I'm a little older and we just, we wanted what was, you know, the best thing available. And that's where we're at. If that changes your opinion of me, okay. Anyway, it serves the story in this way. So these things are monstrosities. They're extremely heavy. Uh, they're, they have delicate machinery and they're supposed to be installed and delivered by specialized teams, basically. Um, Peloton doesn't do all of its own deliveries, but they have a contract with a company called XPO who uh, does many of the deliveries for them. And the people are supposed to, you know, bring the stuff in, unbox it, put it right where you want it to be because it's hard to move, period. And they're supposed to configure it for you, answer any questions you have. And they call it white glove delivery. So fine. We got the bike. It was kind of hard to coordinate that delivery, but we got through it. And then they came out with the treadmill and we wanted to get that too because we were going to buy a treadmill, you know, whatever. Uh, so we set that up. I think what happened is XPO came and uh, hired a third crew to outsource this to. So just basically anybody with a U-Haul for an evening. And these guys came and did a really, really bad job. And I mean, they butchered a hardwood staircase that we have. Like there was a stair that was destroyed and had to be replaced. Just big gouges in our expensive hardwood. And I do understand the level of, you know, privilege and entitlement from which I'm speaking right now. That's just where I'm at. I'm sorry. (laughs) I swear I'm just like you. Um, But no, seriously, they they ruined our new floor at our new house. And it was... (laughs) At that point, I had to be like, listen, I'm, I'm this damaged my family and our home and you know, this has got to be dealt with. So we got in this big fight, me and this crew. Uh, they did a terrible job and left. I had to fight with their boss on the phone who screamed at me and accused me of stuff. And uh, then I had to fight with the company. Uh, we had a really super, super weird, creepy situation where I was dealing with this guy who was trying to help me with it. And I... Based on what I was able to research online, I think the guy I was talking to died. Just uh, just a freak incident. You know, a person passed away and I was extremely sympathetic. And he was a nice guy. He was trying to help us. But uh, so communication broke down with the company. And I had to go to somebody else. And then the next person was a monster and called me a liar and all this stuff. And I almost had to take this company to court to pay for I was going to take them to small claims court here in the U.S. for uh, U.S. listeners. And they were going to have to pay for the damages for this floor that they you know, wrecked and the, the equipment downstairs they damaged and all this stuff. So the point is, I went to Reddit. We can reconnect on Reddit. And I, I found a group that talks about this stuff. And I put together a long post and told this whole story and how it hadn't been resolved and all this stuff. Cause I said, I told them I was going to do this. I told them I was going to share this story if they didn't help me and they didn't help me. And I, I went and spilled everything. So that ended up becoming one of the top 10 search results for Peloton St. Louis, which is uh, where I live. And I told my wife, I said, they're going to fix this now that this is up online. And that eventually turned out to be true. But before, before it was all done, I heard from this business insider reporter who went, Hey, I cover transportation for business insider. And you, you had one of the first things I found when I was searching for this issue, the Peloton's having with their, uh, their delivery company. Would you like to talk to me about this for an article I'm doing? And I told her, 
I said, we've pretty much got this thing wrapped up now. But I told them if they didn't help me in a timely manner, I was going to never stop talking about this. And the last thing the person did, the day we wrapped this thing up and they cut me a check to pay for the the uh, reinstalled stair that they busted up. The last thing that happened was this person called me a liar. And I said, that's that's it. I'm never going to stop talking about this. And so I said, yes, I will talk to you for this article. And I should have just let it go, honestly. But uh, she was fine. She was she was okay. She wanted to know like what happened. She said, uh, my editor said I couldn't use anything that I found on Reddit. So if you could just sort of, you know, feed me the, the same kind of information that you shared there, I can use it as, as quotes. And so I mostly did that. But the first thing she, she did was like, can we do this over the phone? I'm going to make my first strong recommendation here. If you think you're participating in an article that is supposed to turn heads with like surprising quotes and stuff, I'm going to suggest you at least set the terms and probably don't do it on the phone. I didn't know how this was going to be used. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what the article was really going to look like. And I'm a little bit of a hothead when it comes to stuff like this. Like I was definitely going to take these people to court if they had wasted like one more day. I gave them a certain date that I was going to file in small claims court and they cut a check that day. I was very mad and I was pretty sure I had probably pushed to the limit of what I could say before their lawyers might get in touch and say, you need to whatever, or we're going to take you to court. So I, I knew I had gone as far as I wanted to go. And I told her, I am not really comfortable doing this on the phone. I said, I'm happy to talk to you over messenger or email. And those were the options I gave her. And she goes, Oh, no problem. I get it. Okay. Don't agree to a call. If you don't want to do a call, or if you are concerned about what you might say, and I don't mean that you're going to make a drastic claim, but I mean, maybe you're going to phrase something poorly, but it's going to be recorded and it could be quoted. So I phrase things badly sometimes and in, in misleading ways by accident, it happens. If I do it on the podcast, I edit that out before you can hear it, but uh, give yourself the opportunity to look at your own words before you send them in a situation like this. I think that's important. If you're speaking Without typing, <laughs> uh, try to lead statements with things like, I believe, it's my opinion that, and be very, very factual. That's very important. You're, you're not likely going to get sued during your career, but you could. But the way you want to think about it is, if this was in court, could I defend this statement? You know, that's the way you want to think about anything you say. Listen to your gut at all times. The way I got concerned about this interview was I knew there was a very good chance that she found me and she chose me because I, I was pretty heated in, in my descriptions of the situation. Like I, I didn't pull any punches. I was pissed and she knew that was going to make a good article. So this reporter said, uh, like we were just chit chatting before we got into the questions and she said one or two things that felt a little bit patronizing to me. Like, um, you know, Business Insider handles business deals and we knew Peloton was coming up on their big uh, IPO. My my wife had brought that up and uh, I said, yeah, we were sort of talking about that and following, you know, the, the IPO news and stuff. And, and she said something like, oh, you, you guys are very well informed if you're doing that. 
Now, there's a possibility that she was being sincere when she said that. It felt like she was trying to, like, butter me up a little bit so I would let my guard down. I didn't like that. I don't like being spoken to that way, and I'm very in tune with it. Some of this comes with age, everybody. When you're 20, you think everybody thinks you're the best person in the world. When you're 34, as I am, and I'm, I'm sure it's much easier when you're 50, 60, you get a sense of what people are trying to accomplish by what they say. And I, I really did feel like, you know, I, I was also a journalist. I wouldn't have said that to a person. And as we went on and as I got into the juicier details of the story, she again pushed me to have a phone call. Basically like, okay, we went through this and my editor likes this, that, and that. And I think we could wrap everything up with one quick phone call. And like, why? Why would you want to do that? I think it was because she wanted me to get fired up and wanted me to say something that would be good for her and bad for me. Because if I say something that gets me sued, it's not going to matter for her at all. If she simply says, he said this, and she doesn't say, this is the case. She just has to say, according to Todd Mitchell, blah, blah, blah. So I didn't like that. And then later she's like, oh, and maybe, you know, she goes, we're actually going to lead with your part of the story. And I was not thrilled about that. And she's like, and can we get your wife's name? And like, I'm, I'm kind of shutting it down at this point. I'm like, no, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that we're out of this thing. And I'm not going to give you my wife's name because she works in a somewhat public facing job. And uh, she likes Peloton stuff. And we don't want them to, you know, bounce us off their network after we have this expensive equipment, you know. I said, I'm not going to do that. And she's like, well, do you have any pictures of yourself working out with the stuff? I said, no, I'm not going to give you that. And so they, they had to just run with what they had. And I think that's important. I think you have to control what comes out of your mouth and you have to control as much as you can what is done with your words. And those were my ways to do that. But if the point is, if you get a vibe, if anything, Like I said, I had no hard, fast reason to assume she was trying to pin me to the wall. But just because it crossed my mind, I I put up some defenses. And I think that's wise because I didn't honestly have a ton to gain out of this. I just told them, anyone who asks me this, I'm going to tell them how badly XPO uh, messed, messed this up. And this was me doing that. But then I let it go. And a while after that, the article went up and the article was fine. I didn't think that was like... I felt that it was good journalism on Twitter. I felt like I felt like it was what I was worried about. Um, she posted it. She did. You know, uh, I think most journalists are used to publicizing their, their pieces when they go out. But I, I knew I, I tried to stay out of any comment sections and didn't want to follow any threads. I knew people were going to be shitty about it online. But when she posted it, I felt like she took a little too much pleasure from that. <laughs> like I felt like once I saw the tweets she was liking and stuff about this from uh, editors of other big uh, networks and stuff, she's been on like NBC doing some stuff since then, I think, and and various other uh, various other things. But I think she sort of got a kick out of this and was kind of like in on this joke with people. And so I was really glad for every precaution I took. Because I didn't give her an extra ounce and you, it would really be hard to connect this to me for sure. I made sure there was no picture. I didn't put my wife's name out there. Uh, I don't think my city's on it. And I have a very common name. So it's, you know, I'm telling you here, that was me. 
you'd have a hard time proving it otherwise. So because I protected myself, I didn't, I didn't trip myself up. And we all know a couple of people in the game industry who are not good at this. They don't think about anything before they speak or they go further and they say intentionally controversial things. And then later they're like, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, don't be that person. I don't, I don't think that helps you, but for, for most of you, it's going to be a long time before you have to worry about anybody trying to catch you up. My point of this whole episode is don't shy away from fun, friendly conversations with the people out there who are trying to like make you look good and make themselves look good in the process. There's a ton of that and it's fun. Like it's fun to get with somebody who you can just think of them as a friend and go, we'll do your podcast together and then I'll go back and work on my game. You can play my game later. Everyone's having fun. Don't ever be worried about it. Feel free to get in touch with me if you have questions about an appearance you're going to do somewhere else. If you want to appear here, there's a real good chance I'll set something up with you. Um, The only people I ever turn down is if I feel like somebody comes to me just like, oh, I flipped some assets and I... I'm just trying to get as many downloads on this as I can. And, you know, if it's just like pure, like lifeless bottom line, you know, most people I'm thrilled to hear what they're doing and their story. I I have a blast that way. So um, this, this is for you, all you friends who are talking about podcast interviews and journalism in general. Hope you enjoyed. Let me know anything I didn't answer and let me know if that helps. If you enjoy the game dev breakdown podcast, Make my day by leaving a rating or a review if you care to. Uh, Even better, subscribe so you can hear future shows and uh, let me know what sort of things you're interested in, what stories in the industry have your attention. There are uh, show show notes at CodeWritePlay.com. And if you are so inclined, you can check out our Patreon group at Patreon.com slash CodeWritePlay, where it's just creators doing fun stuff together. So... In the meantime, uh, keep working hard, keep doing what you're doing, and I'll uh, catch you around the web. Congratulations on your game dev breakdown, whatever that is. Sounds idiotic to me.